Before we dive into uh, the text at hand, let's just walk through a couple of announcements uh, real quickly. Kids, you're dismissed, and the rest of you, if you've got your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. I scared the people this morning when we were praying. I said, I'm preaching from Hebrews chapter 1 through 13. And they really corrected me quickly. It's actually chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. Before we read it, uh, uh, kind of the focus of today's text, I'll just throw it out there up, up front, is the Lord is inviting us into his rest. Okay? So keep that theme in the back of your mind. But maybe to help us understand it, I think it's been helpful for me to understand it this way, is um, think of home. Now, I know some of you don't have a great home background, but others of you have been blessed with a great growing up experience, and, and I was one of them, and I'm thankful I did nothing to deserve that. God, in his grace, allowed me to have a great family to grow up in, and it's a big family. There's nine kids. You've probably heard the story. That we've had, they had three. They saw me, and they said, we can do better if we pick them ourselves, and then they adopted six, but when we get together, it's a mess. It's a lot of fun. When the kids were younger, we were here in Calgary. I think uh, Caleb was, would have been 12 and under. All the kids would have been 12 and under. We would often make our trip from Calgary to Vauxhall. It's about a two-and-a-half-hour drive. And it's pretty much pavement all the way until the last maybe two kilometers. And we would take that little trip, and we'd get to that last little two kilometers, and it'd be the graveled road, and you'd get to the top of the hill. You could see the, my parents' home, even though it's 2K away. And the kids called it the bumpy road because it was gravel, and they weren't used to graveled roads. And, and they were thrilled. They were, they were so excited we were on the bumpy road. We get to the house, and, of course, my mom was phenomenal, and, and she, she had a way of... Um, making each of the kids feel special so she would something that they enjoyed she'd make sure she had that uh, she had a way to make she would find what Lynn liked or what I liked and she would ha kind of have that ready it was just fun to go home and I walk into the home that I grew up in and I was just like <sighs> and I would walk into the kitchen and I would start opening the cupboards and opening the fridge first thing to see what mom had baked or what was in the fridge I could eat, even though I knew we were eating soon. I was home. And it was just so, you know, the artwork. On, Dad built the house, but the, the artwork in the, in the house was mom's doing. And, and it was just, it was home. Now in 06, when my mom died, home changed. It's still home. Dad's there. But all those little special things are gone. The artwork's still there, but, but mom's not there to greet us with a bear hug. It's changed. It, the home has changed. Now, someday, when dad either moves on, uh, out or moves to be with the Lord, then it's just going to be an empty shell. And I think that picture of home just helps me understand what that home is special, it's precious, I love it, I love when we all get together, it's a place filled with joy and happiness and all of those things, but it's temporary, and the Lord invites us 
into a permanent home. And it's home not just because of the place. It's home because of who's there. The Lord is there. Now with that thought in the back of your mind, let's read chapter 4, 1 through 13. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day. Today, saying through David, so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Lord Jesus, these uh, words are written by your Spirit. And although we do not know the human author, we do know that you are the real author. And Father, I ask that uh, these would not just stay on the page, but these words would, would come to life, that they, they, would, they, would, they would be um, ignited in our soul by your Spirit. That you would teach us and shape us and help us desire above all things to enter that rest with you. So we ask, would you speak in your name we pray? Amen. Hebrews chapter 4, I wrestled with how to divide or, or, or work through this text, and I couldn't come up with a real good solution, so I stole one. Albert Moeller, in his, his very good little commentary, uh, breaks this passage down in, in three sections. And so I'm just going to basically tweak his, but uh, it's not mine. Nothing I say is original, just so you know. And, and the, the, first, the first thing I want you to see, we enter God's rest by faith. Verses 1 and 2. Secondly, verses 3 through 10, we enter His rest with urgency. And finally, we enter His rest with His word. Okay? 
Let's, let's start at the top. We enter God's rest by faith. Verses 1 and 2. Did you notice right off the top, therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands. Last week we talked about the story of the, the, the Israelites. And you might recall how God spared them from slavery in the land of the Egyptians. Great, great victories took place there. But then God led them where? Pardon me? Into the desert. First, first stop was the Red Sea. And they get to the Red Sea, and, and the Egyptians are coming, and there's a sea in front of them, and they're like, where are we going to go? And, and they begin to grumble, and they forget everything that God had done for them, and they forget the promise that God was going to bring them to the land of Canaan. And, and then, they, then there's this, this situation. God brings them across the Red Sea. It's an incredible, ama amazing thing. And then God, God leads them to bitter water. And they're going like, Jesus bring us here to die and they forget everything that God had done and they forget what God had promised them instead of turning to him and saying Lord help us would you provide for us they grumbled and complained and and then they brought God brought them to the place of no food same thing then God provides food in an amazing way and and then he brings them again to a place of no water and same thing they grumble and complain we get to numbers and in Numbers, we're told, God says, I tested you ten times. And, and every time you failed. The last one was they sent 12 spies into the promised land. The, the, the land that God said, I will give you. Ten of those spies, well, they all come back, but ten of those spies say, he's right, it's a land flowing with milk and honey. It's a good place to live, but there's a problem. Their cities are fortified, their armies are big, and the people are big. And there is no way we can overcome them. The two of the spies said, hold it, hold it, hold it. God has promised us that, and, and he, will, he will give us that. Look at what he has done, and look at what he has promised. Both Joshua and Caleb recognized the promise, believed in the promise, trusted in the promise, and said, let's go move forward. But un unfortunately, the people of Israel sided with the ten and chose not to move forward. As a result, they were punished, and everyone 20 years and older died in that wilderness over a period of 40 years. And so the writer's reminding us of what he, where he's been, what he's been talking about. He says, therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still remains... So what do you mean? The promise going into the land of Canaan still remains? He's going to help us understand that a little later, but there's, there's this idea that the promise still remains for us. What's he talking about? Secondly, I want you to notice, look at verse 2. For good news came to us just as to them. Or a little later he says, but the message they heard. What's, what's the good news that they heard? They heard, God is going to free you from the Egyptian slavery, and he's going to bring you into the promised land. What is the good news that God has told us? I'm going to free you from death, sin. I have freed you from death and sin, and I'm going to bring you to 
my, my home, my abode. Jesus talks about in his place there are what? Many mansions or many rooms, John chapter 14, verse 1. And he's promising us that. So we too have this good news, this, this gospel message, this promise. Now remember our message according to chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, we talked about a few weeks back. Our message came to us by Jesus himself, chapter 2, verse 3. Declared at first by the Lord, and it was declared to those who heard it. That would be the disciples. The disciples, thankfully, they wrote it down. The disciples, thankfully, shared the news with others. Thankfully, we still have the written word of the disciples so we can know who this Jesus is and what this Jesus did. That's the message. That's the good news that, that the writer to the Hebrews is saying, you have good news. You have a promise. You have a message. And it's still open to you. Now, like them, the circumstances in our life, the cares of the world, sometimes the good things, sometimes the negatives, it's kind of like us standing at the foot of a, of a, of a, a, a body of water, but the water's bitter. And we're like, what are we going to do? And the question is, will we trust him? Will we trust him? Will he, will he bring us to the place that he said he would? The test is, is constant. It's always there. Listen to this, um, this quote. We look at the um, chapter 4, the end of verse 2. They, what they, the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. What's he saying there? Well, there's some debate on exactly what he's saying, but the bottom line we all tend to agree on is this. O'Brien says it this way. The good news needs to be accompanied by faith for it to be effective. And if faith is genuine, it will be persistent. In order for the people of Israel to go into the promised land, they had to follow the Lord in faith. They had to trust Him. So this is what He said, well, we trust Him. They didn't. It was a persistent, stubborn rebellion not trusting the Lord. And as a result, the message they heard did not benefit them. But our text says, what about us? What about us? Did you notice? He says, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. We don't like to think of God as someone we should fear. We, we like to think of him as a God, a God of love, which he is. A God who invites, as he does, as this text will say. But but the text says, let us fear. Jesus said it this way, Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. We tend to fear people. We, fear, we tend to fear what people are thinking, what they might say, what they might do. But Jesus tells us we're to fear who? Him, 
the Lord, who has control of our eternal destiny. The people of Israel feared a lack of water, a lack of food, the Egyptians, the Canaanites. They didn't fear God. And as a result, the message they heard was of no avail, no, was of no use to them. It did not benefit them. And so as we hear the promises of God, in order for us to enter the rest that God promises us, to enter the home that He promises us, to, 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 to take that last stretch down the bumpy road so we can be with our Lord, must be accompanied by a persistent faith. Now let's carry on in verses 3 through 10. I, I think the text is telling us that this, this uh, we're, we're to enter this, this, this place of rest with an urgency. And I think Moeller uses that language because take a note of verse 7. Again, he points a certain day. Today Right now, saying through David, so long afterward, and the words already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Now remember last week he's quoting Psalm 95. And King David is writing about the people of Israel who had no faith. But he's writing it in such a way that he says this message is actually for us, my generation. So David, three, four hundred years later, writes to his generation and says, today is the day that we're supposed to believe in the promise. Now if you notice verse 8, for if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. The question you might be asking, and the writer of Hebrews is trying to answer for us, is yes, Moses didn't bring the people into the land of Israel, in Canaanite, the Canaanites, but what happened? Joshua's the next generation. They were in the land, and when David writes those letters, he's in the promised land. God had answered that promise. And so, what was this promise that David writes of? What is the promise that the author of Hebrews writes of? The promise that they could have the land of the Canaanites was simply a foretaste, a picture of a greater promise. Do you see that? We're going we're gonna to kind of unpack that a little bit, but, but that's what he's getting at. And there's an urgency, and today, today, right now, we at Community Grace are called to respond to this message. Will we believe him in faith? Will we Will we enter by faith? Will we, will we see it as urgent? Now I think this section from verses 3 through 10 kind of give us a picture of what this rest will look like. And I think it's important for us to take a, a gander at that. Notice in verse 4 it talks about God rested on the seventh day from all his works. What's going on there? Why does he throw that in? How does that fit? If you go back to Genesis chapter 2, you can, you can go there earlier, later if you want, but you have the, the, the conclusion of chapter 1. 
on the first day God said. Right? And he creates. And there was what? Morning and there was evening. And so for six days, God creates with his word, and we're told there's morning and there's evening. There's a conclusion. But when it comes to day seven, we're told that God rested, but there's no evening. The idea is that, that, that idea that God is still resting. Not that he's not active, he's not working. That's not the point. But, but God still has this open invitation for us to come into and join him in his rest. That's significant. Now hang on to that thought. As we go through Hebrews chapter 3 and 4, you will notice that the word rest is found 12 times. It's a theme in the text. Ten of those times are in chapter 4. But what's interesting is on one occasion, he doesn't use the same word. Eleven times he uses a Greek word for rest, and the twelfth time he uses another Greek word for rest. And you find that in verse 9. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Now hang with me, this is important, okay? There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. In the original, there simply, it would simply state, so then there remains a Sabbath for the people of God. We have to include rest so that we kind of get an idea what he's talking about. Sabbath is another word for rest. Sabbath is a, 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 an important word in the Jewish system. The people of Israel were to rest on the seventh day. They were to cease from all activity, cease from all work. And, 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 and so there's different ways to describe the Sabbath. In Exodus chapter, is it 20? Exodus chapter 20, we have um, verse 8. God commands, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. But if you follow along in Exodus chapter 20, go down to verse 11. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So what is he telling the Israelites? I want you to pause on the seventh day, take a break from all of your activity, and the reason why I want you to do that is that God rested on the seventh day. And, and the idea is like, God, everything I have, everything I own, you made it. Thank you. It's a, it's a day to praise the Lord because of what he's done. Now, if you go to Deuteronomy, Moses is looking back at when he gave the, the Ten Commandments, and he's, he's reiterating that. And take a look what he does in Deuteronomy chapter 5 and verses 12 through 15. He says, observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. And he's reminding a new generation as they're re ready to enter the promised land, keep the Sabbath day. Take the day off. Stop all your work activity. But he, he does something different in Deuteronomy. And at the end of the chapter, at the end of verse uh, 15, you shall, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Now he's telling them, I want you to pause and stop on that day because I want you to remember that you guys were slaves in Egypt. 
not only do I want you to remember that God created the world and everything that is in it, but I want you to pause and I want you to remember that God saved you, rescued you, bought you out of slavery. And so the reason for the Sabbath day, the, the seventh day of the week, to stop and to celebrate was to remember those two very things. Now, in the book of Leviticus, which was probably put together somewhere between Genesis and Exodus was and, and, and the passage we read in Deuteronomy, in Leviticus 16, it speaks of one day a year called the Day of Atonement. Now hang with me. Okay, these are important. That day of, of, of atonement, one day of year, was also called a Sabbath day. And listen to why they were to stop on that day. Chapter 16, verse 31, it is a Sabbath of solemn rest to you. The whole chapter speaks of the day that the high priest would go in into the Holy of Holies. Having slaughtered a lamb and sprinkling the blood upon the altar so that the people of God could continue to be in the presence of God because their sins were forgiven. Their sins were purified. They were made right with God if they put their faith in this God and the action of the high priest. So one day a year, they were supposed to stop and rest and remember what God had saved them from. Not just the Egyptians. Not just slavery, but from the very wrath of God himself. And so, when he uses the word, the, the, the Greek word he uses 11 times, and he talks about rest, he's, he's, it seems like he's talking about a place we go to. But when he uses the word Sabbath rest, he speaks of what's it like in that home. It's a place where God dwells and we can be with Him. And it's a place of joy and celebration and festivity and praise and worship and all of those things. That's why I began with Psalm 95, the beginning where we're, we're praising God. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22, the writer of Hebrews, he's not finished with this idea. It's going to keep cropping up over and over and over again. But in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22, looking towards heaven, he calls it a city. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering. In festal gathering. And to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. And to God. The judge of all and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. That's what we're looking for. That's a promise where our eyes are, are upon. So the writer of Hebrews is saying, God is inviting you into this, into this, this, this place of rest, into this home, and, and, the, and the entrance is by faith. It's not by what we do. It's by what He's done. But there's an urgency. Will we believe Him today? Will we enter today? Will we trust Him today? And will we persistently trust Him throughout life? And, and, and my friends, the, the, the picture is far, far more beautiful than anything we can even grasp or understand. The book of Revelation talks about streets of gold. But quite frankly, the point there is we will not notice the streets of gold because we'll be so overwhelmed by who's there and what he's done for us. 
there's nothing on earth that compares. I, I can't bring my mama back. I can't bring that home back. And yes, when our family still gets together, it's still fun, it's still joyous, but it's never quite the same. But there is something that's permanent and eternal, and it's only ours through faith, but there's an urgency. Will we believe them? Will we enter today? What's beautiful about this text is We've been digging through Hebrews. It's just like it's just like layer upon layer upon layer of stuff, and it's just rich. And it's like you, you, you get down to one level, and you go, "Oh, there's a there's a gold nugget." And you, but you dig a little further, and you find a bigger nugget, and and it just it just feeds the soul. Didn't chapter one of Hebrews tell us that Jesus laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning? As we enter the Sabbath rest right now, and, and as we eventually enter that permanent rest with him, we'll not only be praising God the Father, but we'll be praising Jesus our Lord who created the heavens and the earth. Doesn't Hebrews in chapter 2 tell us that he rescued us from slavery? We look at the end of chapter 2, I believe it's verse 15. And he delivered all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. But right now, as, as we recognize who he is and what he's done, and we put our faith and trust in him, we go, wow, Lord, look at what you have. You, Jesus, have rescued us from our slavery. We should be shackled to death with no hope and, and no future, no eternity. But you've given us hope because you've removed the shackles and you've pointed us into something that is everlasting and eternal. Something to die for, to live for. Someone to die for and to live for. And isn't Jesus the high priest? We've already been told that. We're going to be told that in greater detail later. But isn't he the high priest who has mercifully, in chapter 2, verses 17... And following, in great mercy, has made propitiation for the sins of the people, us. Made atonement so that we're no longer under the wrath of God. You see, you see the Sabbath rest in the Old Testament is completely and entirely fulfilled by Jesus. And the writer of the Hebrews is telling the people of the Hebrews, remember they were Jewish people and they were being tempted to go back to the Jewish system. And we may not be tempted to go back to the Jewish system, but we may be tempted to go, you know what, there's too many things in this world that we care about, that we love, that we, that we long for, that we desire, and we, and we think that that is where we're going to find our fulfillment. And the point is we're not. It, it, it might satisfy us for a week. It may satisfy us for a year. It may satisfy us till our kids are grown. It may satisfy us until, until we're retired. It may satisfy us until the day we get to the grave. But, but someday it will end. The promise He's given us is eternal. So will you trust Him? Now, he doesn't stop there. Verses 11 through 
13, he says, let us, and, and, and notice throughout this language, it's let us, let's, let we, it, it's, it's, it's us together, we're uniting arms, we're connected, we need each other, we, we're not pursuing this individually, it's, it's like us, and the author's including himself in the language. He says, how do we enter this place of rest? We enter this place of rest by his Now, you might have remembered the song we sang, the last song, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Martin Luther wrote that song. He was being tracked down by the, the, the Roman Catholic Church. They wanted to put him to death because of the things he had written about the Word of God. And, and, and he was hiding. He was graciously being hidden by one of the princes of Germany in this great fortress. And he's wrestling. Did you hear the language? He's wrestling with the devil who's, who's trying to destroy him and trying to ruin him. And, 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 he, and, and it's like this, this battle that he's in. And he says, one little word shall fail him. What's that word? The word of God. What's that word? That's the good news that we've heard in verse 2. What's that word? It's a message that we see in verse verse 2 of chapter 4. What's that word? Our author is using the word of God, Psalm 95, to, to help these people, to wake these people up and say, don't turn back, but keep on going. Keep on trusting. Don't become like the Jews. Verse 11, let us therefore strive to enter that rest. There's a, there's a, there's a it's not that we're, we're, we're going to get there on our own effort, but there's this like passion, this zeal, like don't give up, don't quit. Kind of like the author's way of saying, you know, in the curling, when they're curling, what, what, is the, what does the uh, guys throwing the rocks say to the guys who are sweeping? Hard! Hard! And they start sweeping hard! Sorry, I had to wake some of you up. But the idea is, that's what the author is saying. Strive, strive, strive. But how do we strive? What did we say in verse 13? But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today. I strive because you talk to me and you tell me things about this book. What do you do? How do I strive? You open up the Word because the Word of God is living and active. How did our author strive and help these people see that they needed to follow Him, keep on going? He opened up Psalm 95 and said, Remember when? I've shared this with you on a, on a bunch of occasions, but God's Word was so powerful and so important in, in our life when Lynn was diagnosed with cancer. I'll give you one story. A pastor friend of mine, we were in the hospital. It was after the surgery. And it seemed like kind of hopeless at that point. And this pastor friend gently, just, just gently said to me, he says, all right, I've been noticing, I've been reading through, I've been reading through the, the Gospels. And he says, it seems that every time Jesus saw the people or he saw his disciples, there was this language, he was moved with compassion. And that's all he said. And for the next several weeks, I started opening up the Word, and I was reading, and I began to realize that my God is a God of great compassion. And I could turn to Him. And He would help me. And, and, and so I was, at, at, I was at my Red Sea, 
I was at my place of no food. And I was like, will I trust him? But what caused me to continue was his word over and over and over and over again. It wasn't when people said, stay strong, stay strong. I, I, I love what they wanted to help me with, but what really helped me with was not their words, but God's word. Why? Because look at verse 12. For the word of God is living and active. It's alive. That's why last week we read, therefore as the Holy Spirit says, he's quoting something that was written a thousand years earlier, and he says, the Holy Spirit present tense says. This book is active. It not only spoke to David, it speaks to us. It's alive active. It's transforming. Those last couple of verses, we could spend a series all, all alone on those two, two verses. Trust me, we won't. But it's also a word of judgment. It's a word that's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces right down to the divisions of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from his sight, but are all naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. It's a word that when God says this is what's going to happen, it will happen. If God says this is what's going to happen, if you disobey, if you don't put your faith and trust in me, it will happen a certainty. There's so much more I could say about that last two, three verses that I, I just don't have the time. But We enter God's rest, God's home, the place of His abode by faith. We enter this place with an urgency today. And we enter with his word. Do you sense the urgency? Do you see it? It's so easy to become apathetic. And what are you trusting? That will get you home. Are your eyes longing for that place. I, 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 I cannot wait. There's a lady in the other church uh, that comes to see, talks with me before every service. A son-in-law is dying of cancer. He's at, right now in palliative care. and It's, it's been a journey for some time. And, and I, I can't talk to her without tears in my eyes because there's no hope for that man down here. And the only thing I can offer her is there's, there's a future. Are you continually hearing God's word and proclaiming God's word to each other? Don't underestimate your presence here on a Sunday. Don't underestimate the time you just stop and pause and look somebody in the eye and just remind them of some promise that God has said. Don't underestimate a text that you send a friend and say, remember Romans chapter 8 or something like that. Don't underestimate those things. 
We need one another. Let us, let us strive. Let's pray. Lord, I stand at the foot of this passage and I go, I haven't even touched it. There are, there are depths that are just untold. We could keep digging and going deeper and, 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 and tasting the sweetness and the riches of what you have put in this passage. But Father, I pray that you would help us to hear Help us to hear from your Spirit. Help us to be a people of faith. Help us to be a people with urgency entering into that place of rest. And Father, may we be a people of your Word. Oh Lord, I long for the day where they take that last trip down that bumpy road. Instead of mom's cupboards, I'm opening up. I'm greeted by my Savior, Jesus. And I begin to be amazed at the storehouses, the wonders and the riches of what you have prepared for us. To be together with no more cancer, no more hunger, no more pain, no more tears, but with you. Would you help us to enter that Sabbath rest? In your name we pray.